All right. Second Samuel chapter number two, second Samuel two. It says, and it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, go up. And David said, whither shall I go up? And he said unto Hebron. So David went up thither and his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite, and his men that were with him did David bring up every man with his household and, and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And the men of Judah came and there, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David saying that the men of Jabesh Gilead were they that buried Saul. And David sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh Gilead and said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord that ye have showed this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you, and I also will requite you this kindness because ye have done this thing. Therefore now let your hands be strengthened and be ye valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah hath anointed me king over them. But Abner, see that? The next two words. But Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. And made him king over Gilead and over the Asherites and over Jezreel and over Ephraim and over Benjamin and over all what? Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel and reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. All right, now we'll stop our reading there. The rest of the account goes on really to what, what becomes a civil war. Judah against Israel. Lives are going to be lost. Battles are going to be fought. Abner is going to kill Azahel and chaos is going to ensue. Abner eventually is going to um, speak to David and say, I'll shift everybody over to Israel. Ishbosheth is going to be killed. I mean, it's, it's a mess. You thought, I thought we were done with the mess when Saul died. Nope, it continued on. David had to be more patient. Seven and a half more years. He's probably already been waiting about 10 years, or sorry, 10 to 12 years right in there. He was 30 years old when he began to reign. And so he was anointed by the prophet Samuel, as you remember, and we'll get into that in just a moment. Here's uh, the title uh, tonight, our series, uh, for those that are guests, we finished 1 Samuel, we're going right into 2 Samuel, and our series is entitled, When a Nation Needs Revival, When a Nation Needs Revival, tonight the title is this, The Road Back to God's Will. The Road Back, thank God, there is a way get, to get back into God's will. 
the road back to God's will. You must choose between two kingdoms, God's kingdom and yours. You've got to choose between two kingdoms. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. Let's get right to it here tonight. We've got some things to consider. I'd like to pick up where we left off last week. I think we considered a very important chapter in chapter number one and and really important principle. Uh, But just to make sure that we're all still on the same page, obviously, as was just mentioned, David was anointed by Samuel, the prophet in 1 Samuel 16, to be the next king of Israel. Saul was the people's choice, basically. I mean, God appointed Saul, but the people wanted a king that would be like all the other nations, and really God let them have their own way. Worst thing that can happen to you is you to get your own way at a time when you're not delighting in the Lord. And that's what happened in the life of Israel. And so they had Saul to reign, some years of success. He delivered uh, the men of Jabesh-Gilead. They're mentioned here in our text. Uh, They're on the other side, Jordan there. He rescued them from the children of Ammon. And so some good things were done under Saul. But uh, I think we all agree, if you've been here in the series, or if you know First and Second Samuel, you'd agree that, that Saul was a madman. And he ruled with the spear rather than with the shepherd's staff. Just symbolically, that's kinda, that kind of characterizes Saul, his uh, he didn't start out that way. He started out, you know, humble and, and actually kind of avoiding leadership um, and yet still self-centered even then. And so his, what was self-centeredness and pride that showed up in being kind of um, shy and hesitant or in the background shifted the other pendulum where he became ruthless and was trying to chase David down because David was getting accolades from the women who said, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And so Saul just got very jealous of David and, and thought that he wanted the throne. And, and so sought to kill him, tried to kill him twice with the spear and even tried to kill his own son. Jonathan wiped out a, a city of priests and Nob. I mean, just really was a tyrant, was out of control, was paranoid was saying, everybody's against me. I mean, that's Saul. Well, Saul died. Saul died in battle. God told him when he went to the witch of Endor, God allowed that Samuel would would come back from the grave, speak to Saul, and told Saul, Saul, you're dying tomorrow on the battlefield and others will die with you. And and so he did. He died on the battlefield and and fell upon his sword, his own sword, committed suicide and and uh, so we, we considered a lot of that last week. And so you'd think this, okay, here is, is everybody following this so far? David has been waiting to be king. He knew it. It wasn't, by the way, it wasn't like he was even really looking for that. It wasn't like he was wanting to be king. He was just out there watching sheep. But God chose David and raised David up and matured David. David himself had issues David made wrong decisions in the time period that, that David had been uh, running from Saul. He went down to, to, to Gath. He went down to the land of the Philistines. And, and so, in fact, even recent chapters, that's where he had been. So he's, he is still there in the land of the Philistines. We'll get to that in just a moment here. But uh, David has made wrong decisions, and yet he's been patient. He's overall been waiting. Uh, he's not presumptuous. He had two occasions where he could have killed Saul. And yet he said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed 
On two occasions, he refused to take matters into his own hands. I'm just simply saying, when news came to David through the Amalekite that Saul had died, David probably had a little bit of relief. Okay, let's just be, let's be human about this. He probably at least thought, at least I don't, no, it doesn't say that he said that or wiped his brow, nothing like that. But come on, I mean, he's human just like you and I are. He had to think, okay, at least my days of running are over. Right, but here's what we don't find in David. We don't find him saying, finally, yes, and giving high fives in the nation. No, in fact, quite the opposite. And at a time when David could have focused on how bad he had been treated in the past, David chose to focus on the good that Saul did rather than the bad that Saul did. And we said last week, and I just think it's important that we get this down because you're never gonna go forward in your Christian life if you keep focusing on the spear rather than the sword. So the last part of chapter number one is actually a poem where David is praising Saul. And you might think, how in the world can he do that? Well, by choice. He chose not to focus on the spear. But you know what? You know what we can do. I'm not trying to pre re-preach the message last week, but I think, but it probably would help all of us. You want me to just preach the message from last week? But, but all of us, you know, I mean, we can say, man, look at the scars that I've got. Man, this guy stabbed me in the back. My parents treated me bad. This pastor treated me wrong. That church hurt me. That youth pastor hurt me. And if you go through life pointing fingers, fingers backwards, you're never going forward. And that's what we considered last week. So if you missed it, maybe re listen to the rest of the message, you know, online or something like that. Because I, I think it's a very important point that, that here's, here's, I'm going to say this one more thing and then we'll move on. David took the high road. He took the high road because he was in submission to God. And instead of, uh, instead of rejoicing when his enemy was brought low, he took the high road and he still showed respect even though Saul himself was not respectable, he respected the position and he spoke of the sword of Saul and the shield of Saul and the bow of his son, Jonathan. And he focused on those things rather than the mistreatment of Saul. And I'm telling you, that'll help a lot of people who are bitter. Just get a hold of that. All right, now for the second sermon tonight. Okay. So all that took place. So now, now what's going to happen? Now what's going to happen? I mean, you, you think about it. Here's David. He's, he's down in the land of the Philistines and he knows, okay, if Saul is dead, then that means I will become the king over Israel. And that wasn't a prideful thing of David. It was just, it was just matter of fact. It's just, it just was what it was. Okay. And, and so he knew that, but listen to this. He could not fulfill God's will while still down in the land of the Philistines. And you'll never be in God's will if you keep living in the world. So man, I knew, I knew you'd make some kind of a point like that. Well, it's true. You can't, you can't fulfill God's will if you're still in deep friendships with the Philistines. He had to leave. He had to make a decision. He had to do what God had told him to do. And in all, all uh, 
since camp and in the conference, we've even been emphasized. In fact, what brother, brother Jason emphasized on Wednesday night was how the children of Israel went into the land of Canaan. They sent in 12 spies, 10 were bad and two were good. And 10 came back and said, we can't take the land. Yes, it's an exceeding good land. In fact, they were probably, probably right around the area of Hebron when they saw the, the grapes and even brought back some of the grapes. I mean, it was a very good land. And brother Jed preached this. I'm not trying to preach his message too. Otherwise I'm going to be, have three messages going on here, but, but he preached how that our young people have seen the abundant Christian life and they've made some decisions this week and we need to be ones who will support them in that. And he said this to our church on Wednesday night. He said, listen, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, not just because of those 10 spies who voted it down, but because of those who heard the report about what God had done there and they voted it down. And it would be really bad if these young people came back fired up about what God is doing in your life and the church just pour cold water on you and say, well, that won't really last. No, that's not how we want to handle this. We want to be supportive of you and say, listen, what God has told you to do, do it. Do it. We get in trouble when we put the question what God has already settled. I preach this morning. Okay, man, sermon number four. I'm, I'm trying to get to the message that I'm preaching here tonight. But I preached this morning about how that Isaac knew that God wanted to bless Jacob rather than Esau. But he said, I want to bless Esau because he's my boy. He's my boy, daddy's boy, daddy's man, mama's boy. Jacob was mama's boy. He was plain. He was smooth. Esau was a hairy man. And, and so he said, I want to bless Esau because I love his venison. I love his smoked meat. Well, all, all men ought to love smoked meat. and Ladies can too. I, I mean, I'm talking about the only smoking that Baptist men ought to do is smoking meat. Somebody say amen right there. Smoked meat, my soul. And so he said, I want to I bless Esau. Well, he knew God's will. Wait a minute, I'm going somewhere with this. He knew God's will and yet he stepped out of God's will. Rebecca's out of God's will. You say, well, well she, tried to, she tried to get Jacob blessed. Yes, she's manipulating but someone has accurately said this, that faith is trusting God without scheming. She's scheming. She's basically saying, hey, we need to help God here. Hey, listen, friend, you don't need to help God. You just need to trust God. So Rebecca's out of God's will. Jacob's out of God's will. Esau's out of God's will. But thank God there's a way back. But here's, here's the point. The, the point is simply this. You need to do what you know to be God's will. You say, well, that's such a basic statement. Why even got to say that out loud? Well, evidently, we all have trouble with that because our problem is not a knowing problem. It's an application problem. We know God's will. We know God's will. Very often we know God's will. We know what God wants. We know what God says. We know where God stands on matters of morality. We know, we know. And yet here's what we do. We pull an Abner. I said, we pull an Abner. He's oh good. He's at least on the fourth message or fifth, and which may be the message for tonight. Yes, yes. I heard Brother Aaron Hahn today um, mention this. He was quoting someone else and he said, you know, it's only a good message if it's applied. I appreciate those that come by out in the, uh, out in the foyer and say, hey, appreciate the message, Brother Jason, make a comment. I mean, all the preachers here would appreciate that. You understand what I'm saying, not in a prideful way, but it's encouraging. I remember Brother Richie Davis, he said, he, he listened to preaching at nighttime as he's going to bed. He'd tell me out in the, in the foyer, we all, everybody in here that knows Richie loves Richie. He's in heaven now, but he'd come out there and he'd say this. He'd say, Brother Jason, I went to sleep listening to you preach last night. <laughs> 
I mean, how am I supposed to take that? <laughs> Thanks, Brother Richie. <laughs> but he would often say, he'd say, as a good message, Brother Jason, my right, Angie, you're standing right there by my side. As a good message, Brother Jason. Hey, thank God for that. I'm encouraged by that. But you know what? Brother Aaron Hahn is onto something right there. And whoever he's quoting is onto something. It's only a good message if it's applied. It's only a good message if it's applied. It's only a good camp if it's applied. It's only a good youth conference. We had several that were in the college part of the college youth conference. We overlooked that sometimes, but I think we had right around 90 that were registered that were in their college and career years. But it's only a good youth conference. It's only a good college and career conference if it's applied. It's only a good marriage retreat if it's applied. It's only a good book if it is reflecting the Bible, number one. But it's only a good book if it's applied. It's only a good devotion if it's applied. It's only a good message if it's applied. Is this making sense? We stayed last night in Ardmore, and, and uh, it's about 30 minutes from Hilton. And, and so it's one road, you know, headed, headed to, the, uh, to the west. And Brother Aaron told me, he said, listen, now, you're going through some small towns you're going through some small towns right there, and and uh, and he mentioned uh, he mentioned one in particular, and it's it's not Lone Wolf, it's something Lone something else. Say it again, Lone Grove. That's it. Thank you. Took an okie, right? Lone Grove, and he said this. Here's what he said. He said, "You better be careful. Don't speed." Well, we've learned that in Oklahoma City too, but smaller town America, you better observe the. Speed limit. It got down to, it went from 65, down to 55, down to 45, way on down there to 25. You know how slow 25 is? <laughs> I looked over at Angie and said, I think I could run this fast. <laughs> That's probably wishful thinking, but 25 miles an hour is painful. That ought to be against the law driving that. <laughs> I understand. It was in the city area. It needed to be that way. Well, I'm glad to tell you, I did not get pulled over. Because the message that he preached to me Saturday night, I applied this morning. 25 miles an hour is slow, but I tell you what, it's not as slow as sitting on the side of the road, letting him fill out the report. Just making sense. It's only good if it's applied. David says, Lord, what shall I do? I love this about David. He inquired of the Lord. David had a relationship with God. Hey, listen, don't you make a decision without God being inquired of you. Ask God, seek God, pray. You're at some pivotal decisions in life. Seek the face of God. David didn't presume. David didn't say, okay, gentlemen, draw a sword and let's go back up into the land of Israel and let's take it. No, he said, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to move? Boy, that's good right there. That's good right there. We could preach sermon number six just on that right there. Seek God. He sought the Lord and the Lord told him to go to Hebron. Where's Hebron? Hebron is 20 miles south of Jerusalem. Hebron is a significant town. It was the town that Abram, it's one of the towns where he set up an altar. In fact, listen to this. The first piece of Jewish real estate was in Hebron. It was a grave called Machpelah where he buried Sarah, where Abraham was buried, where Isaac and Rebekah were buried, where Jacob and Leah were buried. Significant place, this place called Hebron. It was in the inheritance of Caleb. Everybody still with me right here? The inheritance of Caleb. I love, 
I love Caleb. I love how Caleb said at age 80, give me this mountain. Sounds like W.L. Smith, doesn't it? Give me this mountain. I'm not done yet. Give me this mountain. And, and, then, and then my favorite judge, actually, I just came to this conclusion yesterday. My favorite judge is Othniel, Lion of God. Well, he was the son-in-law of, of Caleb because he said, whoever takes Kirjath Sefer, which is in the area of Hebron, a mountainous area where the Anakims are, the big guys, the, uh, the giants, it's Hebrew for big dudes. <laughs> whoever takes Kirjath Sefer can marry my daughter, Aksa. And so Othniel went up and took the land and he gave him his daughter in marriage. Reminded me of the story of the, the man that, that was a wealthy landowner. He said, all right, listen, I've got this pool, big party, you know, and he had this pool that was filled with poisonous snakes. And he said, whoever jumps in this pool, swims to the other side, gets out on the other side alive, he can have a choice of either land, money, or my daughter's hand in marriage. He no sooner said that till a guy was in the water. And then he's swimming as fast as he can and he got out on the other side. He said, wow, that was amazing. What do you want? Do you want land? Do you want money? Or do you want my daughter's hand in marriage? He said, no, sir, I don't want any of the three. I just want to know who it was that pushed me in. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> nobody pushed Othniel in. Othniel said, I'll take that mountain. And man, that's, that's Hebron. That's Hebron. Think about this. I mean, my soul. Hebron is a place that's connected to their past. It's a place that's connected to the courageousness that David is going to need to take the rest of the land. It's a place also where the priests would live. It's also a city of refuge. Those four reasons, and it was a big city, are good reasons as to why five. David would settle there. God said, I want you in Hebron. It'd be like us if you needed somebody to be maybe encouraged to maybe go live in Yorktown or go live in Gettysburg or, or something like that, maybe Bunker Hill, visit that or go to some place like that to be charged up. That's what God told David to do. Is this making sense to you? So he went and he dwelt there in Hebron and watch this. Then the men of Judah come to their fellow man of Judah, David, and said, we want you to be king. They anointed him king. Genesis chapter number 49 and verse number 10 is in action because the scepter would not depart from Judah. Good stuff. Good choice. Good job, Judah. Judah, some of the Judites had been wrong with David. Remember the Ziphites? Crickets. Nope. Remember the, remember the Ziphites? They were from Judah. They were his own countrymen. They got things wrong with David and they were going to turn him over to Saul. And they did. And yet here they are behind him. I'm sure thankful that even now and then when you get crossways with God or crossways with God's people, that he'll let you get things right if you will. He invites you to Hebron. Oh, my soul, do I have time for a seventh sermon? Samson, Samson, when he came out of the land of Philistines, I found an interesting contrast between David and Samson. Both of them went down to the land of the Philistines and both of them nearly lost their life. They're out of God's will. Both of them. Samson, he was in, in, in Gaza or Gaza and he took the, the city's, uh, the doors of the city and carried it 40 miles to Hebron. And you think, oh man, he's getting things right with God. He's going to Hebron. Hey, let me tell you something. You can be geographically in the right place and yet your heart still be somewhere else. Did you hear me here tonight? 
You geographically can be in the right place, but your heart can be somewhere else. Because just the time that you think that Samson's about to get things right with God and he's back in Hebron and that place that we just described, next thing you know, he's down in Sorek. Where he met a woman named Delilah. He helped some guys here tonight. Don't you marry somebody named Delilah. Sure, don't go to a sissy hair salon. Amen. We don't have time for summer number eight. But that's, that's what happened. Samson, Samson and David, both in Hebron. But here's what happened. David stayed. Samson left. I'm preaching it that way tonight because some of you are geographically in the right place. You don't miss a service. But I wonder if your heart's all here. The men of Hebron came and said, let me tell you, David, the men of Jabesh Gilead, they did a valiant thing uh, for Saul and where the Philistines had, had just desecrated his body and so defamed him. Then here's what David did. He reached out to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said, listen, you've done a commendable thing and Saul is now dead. Judah has anointed me king. It basically was this, an invitation to join him. Now, we don't know what happened with Jabesh Gilead or they got on board or not. What a, what a statement on the part of David to say, thank you for honoring Saul. And if you'd be inclined, I'd be very pleased should you join us. You following that? Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. David was anointed by Samuel to be king over all Israel. But right now, he's only king over Judah. They're close, but being close to God's will doesn't count. You need to be all in. David had to be patient. I'm not gonna deal with that side of it tonight. There may be some things on David's part that God knew he had to have some time. I don't know, but I, I think it actually, I think it's more this, church. I think it's more this. Abner, Saul's cousin. Do you know that? Abner, Saul's cousin, knew God's will was for David to be the king over all Israel. You say, how do you know it? He said it. Abner said it. Everybody still with me here? Abner was there when David killed Goliath. Abner was the one that Saul said, go get that young man and tell me who he is. Bring him here. Abner. Abner was the general under Saul that sat at the table with David. Abner knew David's character. Abner knew, Jonathan said, you'll be the next king over Israel. Jonathan, the, Jonathan, the son of Saul said to David, the son of Jesse, you're going to be the king over all Israel and I'll be a help to you. Abner, no doubt, heard Jonathan maybe say that. Abigail, my Saul, I just read in, in, in uh, chapter number 25 of 1 Samuel, that Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the fool, she said, all of Israel does know that you're going to be king over Israel. Chapter 25, I don't remember the verse. It's in there. You check it out later. If, hang on, wait a minute. Is this making sense? If Jonathan knew... And Abigail knew, surely the five-star general, surely Saul's general, Abner, 
knew God's will. If you don't believe it, read chapter three. Read chapter three, after all this confusion happens where Joab's men fights Abner's men and Joab's men whoop Abner's men and men die. After Ishbosheth's ordeal, then Abner comes to David and David, I'm sorry, Abner says this to David, the, the Lord has said, the Lord has showed that you're to be the king over all Israel. Wait a minute, church. Wait just a minute, dear folks. He knew that. Abner knew that. He knew what God's will was. And yet I think out of, and I don't, this doesn't matter what I think, but what you study out of the word of God, here's Abner acting in his own self-interest using Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. Ish means man. Bosheth means of shame, a man of shame. He's using Saul's son that was held back. He's 40 years old. He's only going to in two years. And he's more like a little puppet king behind Abner. I think that, Abner, I said, I think again, it doesn't really matter what I think. I'm being careful about this. Abner wanted to rule. That's right. Knowing full well God's will was for David to rule, he had some secret ambition to maybe think that once we get rid of Ishbosheth, I can rule this thing. How else are you going to surmise that? How else are you going to calculate that? I don't think tonight there's any denying that Abner knew it was God's will. I'm, I'm coming back to where the, okay, this morning I used it with, with, uh, with Isaac and how he knew that Jacob was just be the one that was blessed. This is, and I told the church this morning, this is the spout where the blessings come out. Remember when Brother Larry Brown preached here? He said, this is the spout where the blessings come out. And you want to stay under the spout where the blessings come out? Well, Isaac got out of God's will. Rebecca got out of God's will. We've already been through that. But here's what Abner did. I know what God's will is, but I've got my interest. I've got my will. Eventually he's going to come back. He's going to say, all Israel knows that the Lord has appointed you, David, and I'll help you. But it was only after he'd spent a little bit of time pursuing his own will. But let me, let me tell you here tonight, that time he spent pursuing his own self-interest cost people their lives. Brought conflict to the nation where there could have been unity. Brought a big old question mark as to what should have been going on when it could have been a time of a big old exclamation mark. David is king. Now, there was confusion and actually there was division because Abner, knowing God's will, knowing it was to be God's kingdom, tried to establish his own. You know why churches don't have unity? Because instead of seeking God's kingdom, people start seeking their own. And people like Diotrephes and 3 John want to have the preeminence and it causes confusion. People make decisions out of self-interest. You listen to me tonight? You know, this all sounded great as a history lesson. But once we get it down to where we live, that's where it gets a little bit uncomfortable. 
Because I want to ask you tonight, whose kingdom comes first in your life? God's or yours? Some of you know what God's will is, but out of self-interest, you're doing your own kingdom. You know God says, honor him in the tithe. But out of self-interest, you're holding back to build your kingdom. You know, God says you need to be in church every time the church gathers. But out of self-interest, you got your stuff going on. Boy, it got quiet in here, didn't it? You know what God says about purity and morality? You know what God says about marriage and sexual relationships to be within a marriage between a husband and a wife? You, you know what God says, but it's one thing to know what God says. It's another thing to do what God says. Because I would imagine there'd be somebody that knows how God feels about pornography. And you're, you're over here. In Mahanaim. Mahanaim, that's what, that was the word that was used. Oh, mercy, by the way, did you realize where they went? Ishbosheth and Abner, they set up their headquarters in Mahanaim. You say, I, I don't get it. Mahanaim's on the other side of the river, it's on the east side. I said, it's on the east side. He said, well, what's the big deal? Well, God had already brought through Joshua. They brought him across the Jordan River and they're on the west side and they'd established all that. But here's what happened. Because they got in such a backslidden state, the Philistines started taking over more and more and more territory, so much so that they could not set up their headquarters in Benjamin. They couldn't set it up anywhere from Dan to Beersheba. They had to go on the other side. They had to go over there. What an indictment against God's people. And you know where you ought to be. You know where you ought to be spiritually. You know where you ought to be in purity. You know where you ought to be in prayer. You know where you ought to be in prayer in Bible reading. You know where you ought to be in soul winning. You know where you ought to be in serving the Lord. You know where you ought to be in terms of riches and not living for them. You know that you ought not be living for your career and, and trying to do that. And all the while, even though you know that, you're going to go on your own venture of self-interest. But listen, let me warn you here tonight. Before you go there and you set up your kingdom in Mahanaim, listen, you got to understand that people's lives and souls and people's uh, fortune, uh, futures and your children are at stake when you make those decisions out of God's will. Is that clear enough? Whose kingdom comes first? I think God sometimes is working in this congregation and, and he's, he's convicting hearts and, and speaking to hearts, but, but some that ought to go down to the altar don't go down to the altar because you're concerned about what will people think if they see me go down to the altar. You know how what people ought to think when they see you go down to the altar? Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Not, mm, I wonder what sin he committed this week. No, it ought to be. Thank God, God's working in hearts. I got to pray with some of our young people here this week. What a blessing to get to do that. But it ought not just be young people and college students who make their way to the altar. It ought to be adults here tonight that say, God, you're speaking to me. I'm not going to stay back here in my Hanayim in my kingdom. I'm going to come forward and let you deal with me and speak to my heart and help me get back on the road to God's will. Amen. 
Because it's one thing to know the speed limit is 55, it's another thing to actually do it. And you can either observe what God is telling you to do, and even when it gets down to seven years and a half speed limit, 25 miles an hour, David's thinking, oh man, we're... Seven and a half more years? Didn't matter. As long as God's in control of that thing, you just wait on Him. Some of you say, I want to be married, but I've got no prospects and I'm concerned because I'm 16. Okay, just wait. You don't have to have a man. You don't have to have a girlfriend. In fact, if you do at a young age, you can really mess things up. Hey, listen, if the bus leaves at six, don't get on the bus at two. It's hot. You'll get sweaty. You'll get upset at one another. And pow! No bueno. Not good. Just wait on the Lord. You say, but Brother Gaddis, I'm, I'm like in my 30s. Hey, still just wait on the Lord. For sure, don't get in a hurry and say, well, I got to find somebody. Oh, my soul. Don't go to Mahanaim. Don't get out of God's will. Just wait on him. Find him as your greatest delight. Wait on him. Because I guarantee you this, it's a lot better not to be married and in his will than to be out of his will, married, wishing you'd gotten back over here. Better just wait on him. Just wait on him. Ishbosheth and... Abner caused a lot of confusion in Israel when really they could have been unified. Now, I thank God for our church and I believe that we're experiencing a great measure of unity as a church family. But we better be careful lest we allow the enemy to come in and to cause some to say, well, that may be good for them, but it's not for me. And then a wedge starts to form in our church family and we have some kind of a division where there's a group that's carnal and a group that's spiritual, a group that's, that's concerned about the work of God and a group that's not. Oh, my soul, every one of us in here need to be concerned about the work of God and spiritually walking with God every single day. It is not for an exclusive group. It is for every believer here tonight to know the Lord and walk with the Lord and try to serve the Lord. Don't get in your mind. It's for somebody else. No, dear friend, it is for you. Please don't make decisions. It's going to cause your church family to say, what's going on with them? They know it's supposed to be over all Israel. Hang on a minute. They know it's supposed to be over all Southwest Baptist Church. Why is that family renegade? Why is that guy, why is he doing that? Why is she doing that? Are you following me? I'm not, I'm not talking about people gossiping. I'm just simply saying people are perceptive. And Judah knew this isn't right. Caused all kinds of friction. How about tonight we just everyone bow the knee to say, God, I want to be in your will. Amen. And seek your kingdom first and all these things shall be added unto you. Not seeking my own. Let's stand together here tonight. <clears throat> Whose kingdom is coming first? Yours or God's? Whose kingdom? Who has to pay the price for your self-interest? Are you sending any kind of a confusing message? You name the name of Christ, does your life reflect it? How will the decisions that you're making impact eternity? There was no victory under Ishbosheth, none. He made no conquering, he took no territory back from the Philistines. 
There's no victory outside of God's will. Will the decision that you make lead to peace or contention? Does it put God's kingdom first or your life first? Father in heaven, help us here tonight. I thank you for the way that you worked in the life of David, the patience that you helped him to have. God, I, I don't understand or know, even know exactly how to process Abner and how that eventually he got back and led the kingdom to go back, but it was with great confusion and actually even cost his own life. So God, help us with our decisions, not just to know what your will is, but to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.